Evening. That's really a voice check. Ah, there it is. Let's begin by singing, O Master, let me walk with thee. <clears throat> Sing all three stanzas. O Master, let Father, we come before you this evening. We want to thank you for all the blessings that, that you've given to us and, and bestowed upon us. We, Father, we're, we're so thankful for your, for your wisdom that, that you're able to take care of us. Sometimes we don't always understand how or how you do it, but, but we know, Father, through our faith that, that we know that you love us and you'll always take care of us. We pray that we'll continue to grow stronger in your word. We pray that that you'll continue to that you'll continue to, to, to bless us here. At this time, Father, we have a special prayer request for the for the launch this week, for the Artemis launch. Father, there's been so much preparation going into that and there's so many so many people that are there's have so much workload. We we pray that that they'll that they'll have success. This country will, will will have another usable space space vehicle. Father, as as we go through this remaining part of this worship service, we we're, we're thankful for Jesus that was willing to come and die for us. We're thankful for for the example that He set and the life that He led. And at this time, we ask you to to forgive us of our sins in his holy name. Amen. So for the next few minutes, we'll be remembering our Savior and 
his death, his burial, his resurrection. To start that, let's sing by Christ redeemed. By Christ redeemed in Christ restored. Let's just be patient and just think about where we were and how much God loves us. Now I think about Jesus and I think about just uh, why he came. The only reason he came was to save us to bring man back to God. And he gave up his life. And I know in the scripture you read how he was talking to his father and asked that the cup be passed from him, but not as my will, but let that will be done. So he took the cup. He took the cup for us. When we think about our own lives, we wasn't brought into a situation like, like Adam and Eve. We wasn't brought into a situation like Abraham or the children of Israel. What we were, we were brought in a situation where we had to decide to follow Jesus. We wasn't born into it. It wasn't forced upon us. Uh, we had a choice. And I think about that. I think about that. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Jesus put that question before all of us. And we need to 
reevaluate not not just on the day when you were born again, but every day when you face this world is out here and this world is attacking you. And the only safe haven is in Jesus. Let's go to our Heavenly Father and pray for the bread. Father, we come to you and we we know you love us, Father. You sent your only begotten Son, Father, to die for our sins. We know we missed the mark and we we know that we're we disappoint not just you, but we disappoint ourselves. But thank God I remember. I remember hearing the story of Jesus going to Calvary, dying for our sins. Father, that is the greatest story the world has, has ever heard, and we thank you for sending your son. We ask you to bless the bread that represents his body. Father, we pray this prayer in his name. Amen. He did not leave us alone. He didn't just go, die, and go back to, to heaven. He left us the comforter. And I know what you're saying. Well, the comforter was there to remind the, the disciples all the things that they heard and seen from, from Jesus, but he didn't, get, he didn't forget us. The comforter is also a part of us. When we were baptized, he became a part of us, and that's what humanity has to look forward to, that we have God living in us. You know, uh, that spiritual side is what really gives us hope because, you know, I, I say this sometimes, you know, we didn't bring nothing into this world, and we're not going to take nothing out of this world. That's, that's just material stuff. That's just stuff. But if you're in Christ, he, he got you covered because, really, it's going to be eternal. Your life is going to be eternal. Your house was built on that rock, on Jesus Christ, and that's where you have an opportunity not only to live forever and ever, but be where the Creator wants you. That's why you was created, so that you would be with Him. Let's remember the blood, uh, and uh, let's, let's pray for the blood. Father, we, we thank you for the Jesus. He shared the blood that washes away our sins, that covers our sins, where it, our sins are erased forever and ever, Father. We, we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, and we thank you that he can, he can guide us, Father. And, and, and because of the Holy Spirit, spiritual men wrote those spiritual words that they got from, from him and, and spiritual thoughts and, and show us 
how we could live for you a new way of living, not a physical way in this clay pot, but, but one that that's continuous and go on forever and ever. Father, we ask you to bless the fruit of the vine that represents Jesus Christ's blood. Pray this prayer in his name. Amen. At this time of the service, we think about, uh, you know, collection of the saints, lay by in store. Uh, in, in, in that way in the Bible, it was talking about lay by in store so they have enough to send back to J Jerusalem, which was going through a famine, but, but we, also, we also do that so that we can, we can help with all the things that this, 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 this local body has. We talk about the prison ministry and that was, that was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, explanation and wonderful purpose uh, why we give. And we also uh, talk about all the spiritual uh, projects that this church has set aside uh, not just talking about the infrastructure of the church, keeping the lights on, uh, keeping us uh, protected from weather, but we we thank God for that, and we we just uh, pray that we continue to use the money uh, to build up the kingdom of God. That's the purpose. Please pray with me, Father. We we thank you that we have. Uh, we have cheerful givers, Father, and that give from their heart, Father, and not, not grudgingly under compulsion, but, Father, they give because they love you. Father, we ask you to continue to, to bless us here at North Broad, and North Broad, and may we be a blessing to all who knows about us because they know who we stand for. We stand for Jesus Christ. We love you, Father, and and uh, we love Jesus. We pray this prayer in his name. Amen. The song after the lesson will be 612 if you're using a book and want to mark it. Now before Matt brings our lesson, let's stand and sing number 624, Seeking the Lost. <clears throat> Seeking the lost, yes, kindly entreating, wanderers on the mountain astray. Come unto me, his message repeating, words of the master speaking today. Growing afar, growing afar, upon the mountain.
Seeking the lost and pointing to Jesus, souls that are weak and hearts that are sore, leading them forth in ways of salvation, showing the path to All right, so we're really continuing a, a series we started a few weeks back where we were going through Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. But you can't really go through the hall of faith without covering also Hebrews 12, the great cloud of witnesses. And I was just wondering in your life, what was the biggest crowd or the biggest group of people you've ever been a part of, you've ever been in, you've ever actually experienced in your life. And I'm not talking about um, like what, what you'd have today in the cyber world. You could have really uh, enormous amounts of people gathered that you've never seen, never experienced in the same atmosphere, sharing the same air. I'm saying in your life, what's the biggest crowd you've ever experienced? The Gators? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the biggest crowd I've ever experienced was going to the uh, Florida State games, Mike Wall, um, which I will be going to the Florida, Florida State game uh, coming up, which <clears throat> we'll just see how that, I'll, I won't say anything before, before, you know, don't count chickens before you hatch in a rivalry game, right? But we're looking pretty good this year, looking pretty strong. Should be a good game. But 120,000, roughly, was uh, the biggest crowd I've ever been a part of. It was to the point, it was during um, Florida State's national championship run when they had Jameis Winston and, and, and a whole plethora of guys who now play in the NFL. And if you don't know, Marsha Ablin has two sons, Christian and Sean Ablin. They go 
to Florida State. One has now graduated and has moved on, but one is still there. And so as they've been up there, I, every now and then I get blessed with some free tickets, which I'm super grateful for. But I was thinking about that crowd because that's probably the biggest crowd I've ever been in and the amount of time it takes just to, just to leave, just to get in your car, get in line, and get out of the city and the amount of pressure that the city endures um, while the game is dismissing. I, I also think about, I went and watched Florida, Florida State in Gainesville but I don't have fond memories of that because they towed my truck. Um, so be careful where you park in Gainesville. I don't, or don't put a Florida State bumper sticker on your car while you're in Gainesville. <clears throat> but I just think about this idea that he's introducing in chapter 12. Now, Hebrews 11 is a lot about what he's talking about when he's saying this great cloud of witnesses. He's talking about Hebrews 11, all these amazing people that lived these amazing lives and did these amazing things for God. But don't forget how we ended in Hebrews 11 where he talked about people who really went through very difficult stuff for the sake of Christ. He says, so th this is what he says, therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and sin which clings so closely. He doesn't make any excuses about that. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to think about this. Can you put a number on the amount of souls that will be worshiping God the Father with you in eternity? Now let's just play a game. If there's 8 billion people on the planet right now, how many generations of recorded history do we have? We know that the population, at least based on our um, stats, right, has been growing. But even if it's 30%, even if it's, let's go lower, 10% of the population that gets to heaven. I'm not God. I don't make those decisions. Thank goodness. What's the number of people since the beginning of a creation until now that is going to be worshiping with you in heaven? It's an enormous number. That's the only, I don't, I don't have any, um, any special math that's going to ruin your, um, your appetite for chocolate bars tonight. That was a reference to Chuck for those of you who are lost right now and his million, anyway. Um, but it's an enormous number of people. It's a crowd you've never experienced. It's a crowd no one ever has experienced at one time. This is the crowd he wants you to think about that's not only, not only lived a life like, he's, like God is asking you to live right now, but is actually part of your story, 
part of his story, part of all of our story. He puts us all together. Sometimes in your Christian walk, it can feel very lonely. Sometimes it can feel like we're very outnumbered. And I always, always think of this scripture when I'm feeling extremely lonely. Sometimes you have a burden that you just can't share with everybody. You have a cloud of witnesses. And if you go and you study the scriptures, especially the people we've already went through in great detail, you will probably find somebody in Hebrews 11 that is shared in your struggle at some point in their life as well. Then he says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Remember how I was telling you guys um, that I think it was a collaboration of people. Doesn't that sound like Paul? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say, fixing your eyes on Jesus, staying in focus at all times on Jesus. The, 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 the world in general can bring so many distractions, can make you look in so many different ways at different times in your life. You know, there's all these questions that are difficult and deep that we are trying to answer in our lives really on a regular basis. I think a lot of times we try to figure those questions out on our own. With our own experience, with our own intuition, with our own wisdom. The Hebrew writer right here is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Understand that you are not alone. You have this enormous crowd, this enormous cloud of witnesses, right? You have this huge amount of people that are with you. They've experienced this. They've went through this. The world is still screaming, trying to get you to look anywhere but Jesus. And the Hebrew writer is saying, fix your eyes, focus on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And don't forget how he closed Hebrews 11, where he talked about everybody, all of us, are waiting. All of us are living this life waiting for a promise. And that promise is a city not made by human hands. Do any of you live in a city that's not made by human hands? So we're all waiting on that promise. He will perfect it when we're all made perfect in the last day on the final judgment when we are a new creation. So I just really want to encourage you that as the world throws all these things at us and all these clever, and I can't stress this enough, clever ways, ways that make you wrestle deep to your soul with what is right and what is wrong, what is real and what is false. Don't approach any of that without the slant, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Don't approach any of that without taking your knowledge that God, the Word of God has given you and bringing it with you into the decisions you're making, into what you're hearing and seeing and experiencing in your life. Fix your eyes 
on Jesus. Then he says this, and this is where we really start to get into the meat of the lesson. For tonight, it says, uh, verse 3 of Hebrews 12, Consider him who, endure, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, you can't stress it enough. And in fact, Doug said this to me today after church. You can't stress enough that Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, and they are praising him. in a way that is still honored by many, many people who believe in Jesus in traditional ways today. A moment that is memorialized, a moment that is remembered from his life. And then just a couple days later, just a couple days later, they're yelling, crucify and give us Barabbas. And this is his life. He's running around. We talked about this um, recently as well in another class. He's running around. He's doing miracles, amazing things. People are seeing the power of God. People are being converted from their wicked ways back to God. And the leaders of his time that should clearly see, because they know the scriptures the best, the scribes, the ones who are writing the scriptures over and over and over for all to read, they're telling everybody that power's from the devil. He dealt with so much to the point where in his 12, he even had one that would betray him. He says, so consider him being Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you in your life, when you're going through that tough time, when you feel isolated and alone, when you have doubts and struggles, when you are at a place where you are not as certain as you normally are, you won't grow weary. You won't lose sight of the goal that's ahead. Anybody ever run long distance? Anybody ever run long distance competitively? Well, believe it or not, that's something that I did. Soccer and long distance makes sense. I didn't do it for long. Because of the last lap. And it really didn't matter what your distance was. It was always the last lap. That was killer. You had ran at the best pace you could run. You had, you had sustained your stamina. You had saved a little bit in the tank just for this moment. And you head out on that last turn and you're kicking with everything you have and everything in your body is screaming at you to just stop and lay down. I hated it. This is exactly the type of language that he's using where you won't get weary, you won't get faint-hearted, you won't come to a place where you just want to give up. Everything in your being is telling you to give up. You know, when you're first, it's easier to continue sprinting. When somebody passes you and you know you're not going to catch them, 
it's a lot easier to slow down. Just something to think about. So verse 4, he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Of course, he's, he's talking about Jesus. He's probably talking about many of those people that he said this earth, it, it wasn't even worthy of. It wasn't even worthy of these people who went through these atrocities in the name of Jesus. He says, In you, in your struggle against sin, you haven't even resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Isn't this an interesting place for the Hebrew writer to interject this moment? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I just wanted to share a couple quotes, and I was a little bit nervous about this because I can barely read those. So I'm going to turn around, sorry. But the first one says, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. That was Abraham Lincoln. Another one says, discipline is the refining fire by which talent becomes ability. That's Roy L. Smith, really like that one. Down here, this is just a company that makes quotes. It says, Discipline is the architect of su success. That's by Strive. And of course, I couldn't put one in here without having um, Mike's, fam Mike's uh, favorite writer, which is unknown or anonymous, and that is, Suffer the pain of discipline or suffer the pain of regret. Discipline is never fun. And while he's talking about this idea of discipline, he's reminding you that when God disciplines you, when God reproves you, when God chastises you, it's because he's your father and you're his child. And if he's a good father, then he'll do this out of love. Hebrews 12 says, verse 7, it is for the discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Go back through those people again in Hebrews 11, and we didn't focus on, but we could easily do a whole sermon series on everything that we could look at and say, they messed up right here. This is not a good spot for them. And realize that God used those moments, disciplined them through those moments to make them into the people that they would have to become to do exactly what God called them to do. It's the same thing that we do as parents now. I'll give you an easy one. How many of you, when you were uh, raising your children, just let your children run out into the road? Go do it. Sounds like a great idea. Anybody besides me teach your kids at least look both ways before you go? Make sure there's nothing coming? Why is that? So he doesn't get hit by a car. It's for protection. Discipline is for protection. It's also for training. You go deeper into it, and there's things that I want them to learn from me, and there's things that I want them to not learn from me. Anybody got some of those? 
I literally pray in my prayer life that in these areas that they take after their dad and in these areas they ignore their dad and learn from their mom. And I hope God grants my children that wisdom, that grace, and all of that that can come from those two coming together. I do my best not to, not to I don't want to hide my flaws. I want my kids to see that I have flaws and I'm not perfect. And it's okay to make mistakes and it's even okay to fail when you're trying your hardest. But I certainly don't take the things that I think are worst about me and put them on display every chance I get for in front of my children so that they can maybe mimic me later in, the, in life. This is part of discipline as well. I shared this, I shared this in the past, but I want to share it again because I think it's, it makes, it's the perfect example. And maybe you've went through this, maybe you can relate to it, maybe you can't. Depends on what kind of driver you are. But I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't know if you know this, well, you, you might know this about me, but I'm a little chatty, right? I'm, I'm a little talkative at times. Well, one of the times where I'm talkative, whether somebody's in the car or not, is when I'm driving. And normally, it kind of goes like this. What are you doing? You believe this guy? Right? It's Christian. I'm not saying things I, like, really regret, but it's certainly not things that I uh, ever even gave a single thought to until my kids were riding in the back. And I realized... Like half the people I'm driving beside I'm yelling at, you know? <laughs> what is going on? It's discipline. It, take, it took discipline for me to recognize that and change the way that I drove. Not literally the way I drove, the way I handled myself while I drove. And I'm still trying to do better at that. Because I want my sons to be better than me. See, this is the part that doesn't translate, but it will translate to scripture below. Because we have God the Father, and he is perfect, and all we're doing to the best of our ability, which we cannot attain, is to be as good as him. But us as earthly parents, we, we want our children to be even better, to have even a better life than we've experienced ourselves. That's every parent's wish that loves their child. And in that process, I think it helps push us to be better as well. So verse 7 again, it says, it is, it is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I can tell you, being in youth, being focused in youth for over 20 years of my life, I can tell you whose parents discipline their children well and whose don't. You can see it. You can see it by the way they treat adults. You can see it by the way they treat their peers. You can see it by the way they even treat themselves. 
That's what he's saying here. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's not saying that if you have no discipline, you're illegitimate. He's saying if your parent loves you, if there's true love from your parent, they will discipline you. They will correct you. They will try to help you figure things out. And sometimes that takes correction. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. And this is one thing I do. I do want to get on a little soapbox for a second and just say this is becoming a lost art. It really is. It really is. Parents are becoming their, 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 their child's friend more than they are being their Parent, it's becoming a lost art. I'm not saying don't be friends with your children. Of course, I won't, I'm, I, I'm all my boys' best friends. Well, I'm dad first. And when they disrespect their mom, I'm dad. I ain't best friend. When they do something that is specifically against God's word or against the rules of our house, I'm dad. I'm not best friend. Because that is the reality of life. The world's not going to be any nicer to you than dad's going to be. Dad's got your best interest in mind. The world doesn't always have that. But it is. It's becoming a lost art. And you're seeing it over and over and over again in our culture. And we have all these these children that are being raised. And and they don't have the same type of respect. And I... The older generation has been saying that about the younger generation since probably the beginning of time. But if you've been paying attention over the last few years, you're seeing some of the most vicious attacks on the oldest generation of our society that I know for me personally, I've ever witnessed in my life. It's because we're losing respect for each other. And it's really because we've lost respect for discipline. Besides this, verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. We respected them because they disciplined us, because they disciplined us out of love. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And you know, I want to share this too. My dad was a great discipliner, but he sometimes disciplined me for no reason. My sister, I won't mention which one, was an amazing manipulator of my father. And there were times where she would come in, stir the pot, and he'd walk in at just the right time, and guess who got disciplined? I don't hold any of that against him. I respect him for it. Because as much as I can say that, nine times out of ten, it was my fault. And if I didn't get the discipline and correction I got, I would be in a completely different place in my life than I am right now. And I still got plenty to work on. But I thank my mom and my dad every day for the discipline that they gave me, the reproof that they gave me, and the chastisement that I saw more than anybody else in my family. 
This is his big moment. He says, God is treating you like a son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How'd he give him to the world? What did William just talk about at the Lord's table? He took our shame. He took the cup because it was God's will. It was punishment. It was agony. Because he put the Father's will over his own. And even though it was awful for him, it was salvation to the world. Sometimes we go through things in life that are difficult because they're changing other people around you. At the end of the day, though, we can only, we can only seed, we can only water. The rest of it comes between that person and the Lord. But if you're expecting your life to be perfect because you're a child of God, then you haven't read the Bible hard enough. I didn't see one person in that, in that book that had a perfect life. I saw the one guy that led a perfect life get crucified for it. So when you're going through tough times and you're thinking about why, God, would you let this happen to me? The Hebrew writer says, think about Jesus. Think about what he went through for you. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best for them. I mean, we're all trying to do what's best. I bet if we started talking about where the line was for disciplinary actions based on certain events, I bet we would have a good, healthy debate. Because we're all trying, we're all trying to do what's best, and some people might draw a line here, and some people might draw a line here, and some people might draw a line way over here on what it means to discipline and how to do that. They disciplined us for a short time because it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us, being God, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. God sees the big picture. You know, I, when I bring up to my dad that, um, you know, there were times where I got disciplined when I shouldn't. You know what he says to me? Without skipping a beat, and he said this to me, since I became an adult and decided I wanted to share the truth about some things with him. He says, the Lord knew you needed it. That's what he tells me. He's like, well, if you got it, the Lord must have known you needed it. Look, it didn't hurt you. Turned out okay. He's right. He didn't do everything perfect, but he did his best. But when God disciplines you, he sees the whole picture. He doesn't get it wrong. He's not up there guessing. He didn't just walk through the door and have to figure out the situation based on what's at hand. So that we may share in his holiness, so that we can be set apart from the world. It takes a lot of discipline, spiritual discipline, godly discipline, to become set apart from the world. 
to share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. You got it? Do you have it? Is your life in peace because of the righteous life that you live? Because you have been disciplined and set apart by God. Because you are a child of God and you know that you are in good hands no matter how it feels in this world around you. Do you have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life? Are you at peace? I talk about this with the kids especially all the time because when we get older, the temptation game, it's, it's there, but it's not as in your face as when you're young and you're full of energy and passion and hormones. There is a peace that you get from knowing you are doing what is right. There is a peace that can never be taken from you when you know what you're doing is right, when it is righteous, when it is the truth, when it is godly. There is a peace that the world can never take from you. But many live unsettled. Many live in a place where they don't have this peace and it's because they're like infants being tossed by the waves back and forth with their doubt and their confusion because they refuse the discipline of the Lord. I said, and this is where I'll end, I said um, when we were going through 1 Corinthians that I think it's, for me, I don't want to push my views on anybody, I don't know how this isn't biblical, but you'll have to figure it out for yourself. But for me, it's extremely important for me to repent on a regular basis. Because in my mind, in my heart, and no matter how much I try to guard it, no matter how much I try to control the way it goes, even my tongue at times says things that I wish I could take back. Sometimes they're just because they're dumb. Sometimes because they're wrong. But I repent because I want the discipline of the Lord. Because I want, when I do wrong, I want it to hurt. I invite the refining process of God. Because I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness to reign in my life. You know, to me, that's one of the most magnetic things about a Christian is how at peace they can be in a crazy world. Because they know that God is in control and they are in God's hands. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, been added to the kingdom? For those of us who have, do we have that peace? Because we've been disciplined by God and we are living that life. Understanding again, with all the examples we have in the Bible, that no one lives a perfect life. But because of the blood of Christ, no matter how much I have sinned, 
I am white as snow because of this refining process. Do you have the peace? And can people see it? If there's any need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. Thanks, Matt. I got a lot of years of uh, experience being a son, and uh, yeah, the discipline's there. And, uh, thankful for the peace. The discipline's not always easy. But uh, hey, I found this in the pew. I'm sure some kid was uh, didn't, was didn't want to risk the uh, didn't want to risk the discipline of chasing his ball. So I won't discipline like mom would. So it's right there. Somebody <laughs> missed that. So, anyways, grab yourself a bulletin. Thank you for all you're here. Grab yourself a bulletin, a lot of good stuff. I'll try to update a couple things on here. 
Uh, Sandy Tagto is home after her triple bypass surgery. Uh, Betty Larner is organizing food for her. I know she has a list on Facebook of some people who volunteered to bring food. If you uh, are willing to cook and take food to Mickey and Sandy uh, some night, get a hold of Betty. Get a hold of Betty. She organizes that. She does a fantastic job with that kind of thing. Uh, also, Lois Cox. Lois, um, it didn't work out at the nursing home. She's back home, I understand. Uh, so she's, uh, she's back reunited with her cat, Rue. Um, so Rue doesn't need a foster home at this time. Hopefully, uh, the situation will work out for Lois and she'll get the care that she needs. Uh, so pray for that, too. Uh, a couple other things. Maxine Ormiston's memorial service will be December 3rd right here. Betty's organizing the food for that too. So we'll have the uh, memorial service at 11, dinner to follow. Contact Betty if you're willing to cook or bring food or whatever. We've got less people that cook anymore and, and they're willing to bring food. And that's okay. That's okay. That's something we do is we, we uh, show people a lot of love. Um, Deacon's Elders Minister Meeting is this Thursday at 7. We postponed it last week due to the storm, so it'll be this week, this Thursday at 7. Also, there's a work party Saturday at 8 a.m. Chris Doris is organizing that to clean up limbs and debris and stuff in the back. Uh, a few people talked to me that said they were going to beat the system and get here early this week and just on their time, go pick up limbs, have at it, you know, have at it. Matt said if somebody wanted to drive a truck or trailer, he'd throw limbs on there, so... Um, if you want to do that, don't, you don't have to wait till Saturday. If it shows up and the Saturday's already work's done, more power to us. Thanksgiving baskets. If you need a Thanksgiving basket, contact Wanda Fitzgerald. She's got a couple names. Uh, we're doing it internally here. There won't very, be very many names, but if you need one, contact Wanda. If you'd like to give to help that out, see me or Charlie or William. So we're collecting funds for that kind of thing. Um, Next week, we've got two more. Uh, Matt's going to be out of town, so we have two, um, two speakers. Mike O'Neill is going to speak in the morning, and John Fisher will be here to speak at night. It'll be good to always to hear from these guys. Uh, one thing left on here, is that right? That's it. Senior game day is Thursday at 11. Senior game day. Don't forget, it's tic-tac-toe this month. So we already talked about the uh, sign-up the sign sheet, bring stuff for subs. Put your X, put your O, bring that. I've been informed that the motivational speaker on the empowerment of the center square is not available. So we have another speaker who's going to talk on the etymology of the use of the word cat to represent ties. So that should be a fun time to hear their speech. So come on out Thursday for the game today. Come out Wednesday for uh, Wednesday night. We're going to have James chapter 3 in here, the unbridled tongue. <laughs> I do not have that apparently. So anyhow, <laughs> be faithful. We'll see you all. Before we're dismissed, let's stand and sing, Are You Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom? Sing the first and last stanza. Are you sowing the seed of the kingdom, brother, in the
Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this blessed day that you've given us. We thank you for all the blessings that we have, Father, and I pray that we'd be good stewards of those blessings and help others around us as they are in need. We thank you, Father, for the word that can convict us and guide us. As we leave here this evening, keep us safe. I pray, Father, that we would allow the example of your son to guide us this week, to shape us. I pray that we would allow your discipline, Father, to change us. I pray that we would allow the spirit that dwells within us, Father, to help us and to move us through this week. Importantly, Father, I also pray that we would be examples and that we would share with others, that we would be noticed for being a, a light rather than darkness. Help us, Father, to bring people together. Help us to be a guide and to be a point of, of light and something that people would like to see and understand. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.